0: Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well Well Well, brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health. Alright, so firstly, uh, can you introduce yourself?
1: Yes, my name's Jane Bruning, I'm the National Coordinator for Positive Women in New Zealand.
0: Yesterday at the U Equals U Summit, you told us about, is it sperm positive? Uh, what, what exactly is sperm positive?
1: Well, Sperm sperm Positive started off as a PR campaign, really, that was about trying to promote um, what U equals U means. And uh, it was a a joint initiative between three different um, HIV organisations in New Zealand, um, Positive Women, Body Positive, and the Burnett Foundation. Um, And we went to the PR company and told them about U equals U, They'd never heard about it and they were absolutely amazed by it. Um, and they um, got some of their their team... They gave the team a brief. And they actually had an internal competition about who would come up with the best idea. <laughs> and so we went back after a few weeks and they had about eight ideas. And um, sperm positive was one of them. And the idea was to... Um, you know, um, promote the fact that that men who are, have got HIV um, can actually have babies and can do it through a um, a donor, especially for gay men, to do it through a donor process, um, and. We really liked the idea. We thought that's there was other ones like you know put some blood in a lipstick and put you know really kind of obscure ones. So we went for the sperm positive, and it just grew from there. It grew between the three organizations and the the PR company. And I have to take my hat off to the PR company because you couldn't have worked with a better company. They were just um, I think they were blown over by the whole concept. They never knew what U equals U meant. They didn't know the significance of it. Um, I think they had worked a lot with gay organizations, so they had an understanding and an empathy in, the, in, in that world. So they were very, very engaged and very sensitive. And um, we just talked and talked and we just ran through things. And so we came up with this concept that we'd start up a, a pretend sperm donor. Like you know, a fertility clinic, not a clinic, but you know, on those lines, and it would just be pretend. We'd get some, some faces, and and um, we'd we'd put a backstory behind that with a website, and the website would just have a whole lot of um, information about what is U equals U, and we managed to get some people living with HIV, some women and men talk about their experiences of having children, and so we set this whole beautiful website up, and. Um, at some point, the agents said to us, and so what would happen then was that um, we would promote it, and then there would be like a QR code or there'd be some guidance to go to the website, and they'd get to the website, and it would basically say, This is not for real, but it could be, you know, and this is why it could be because of you equals you. Um, but then the agency sort of said to us, Have you thought about really doing this? Because if you really want, you know, if you believe in the science and for people to really believe in it, because they won't believe it otherwise. And they'll, you know, often they might even get annoyed when they get to the website to find it so fast and then they'll just drop out. So they they, they didn't push us, but they asked us to think about it. And and we did. And um, we had reservations and nerves and excitement. And, and then we said, yeah, okay, let's do it. Let's do it, let's do it for real. So, so, we didn't set up as a sperm clinic. What, what we actually did was that we, um, we set everything up so, like, similar to a fertility clinic. And so, we had called out for donors, so that's men living with HIV um, who wanted to have children. And then we put that out um, as part of the launch and told everyone about you equals you and why this could happen. Um. And did that whole launch, and that worked really well. And we got—I think it was like thirty women came forward, and we had started off with five men, and we ended up with twenty-seven or something like that. It was really quite much higher than we had thought from all sides. Um, but we didn't—we didn't set up a clinic. What we did is we matched them. So so we had, um, you know, like a book, really, a bit, bit of Tinder, but. You know, a bit more um about babies, I suppose. So so people would could the, the women could choose the man based on, you know, their hair colour, their a photo of course, and their genetics and stuff. And and they would and then once they chose we would connect them and then from there on it was up to them. And we had been to the lawyers and everything and made sure that everyone signed documents to to, to, to to cover ourselves really. So from there on, it was up to them whether they went to a fertility clinic. Um, The other good thing about it was that in that process we communicated with the fertility clinics in New Zealand and um, it was a whole new education for them and they changed their whole way of being as well. So prior to that, they would not take sperm from positive people. So as a... Or do donors? They were quite fussy about doing donors between positive and non-positive, but as a result of that, they've changed their whole processes as well. So, so we could either recommend people to go to the to the clinic, or and most of the, most of them actually just did the home turkey basting method, <laughs> and very successfully. Um, so we had um, a couple of babies from that, and. We felt then that we kind of needed to finish that campaign because that's really what it was. And we had got the message out um, with a lot of um, publicity, much more international than, than national in New Zealand, a H- huge um, interest overseas. And the, actually the agency won 13 different awards and they actually won a the, the biggest one was an Emmy Award in the Cannes um, for for um, marketing, not not the other one. But so 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 I guess that was their motivation, but that was never guaranteed. Um, they they did over a hundred thousand dollars worth of work for twenty thousand dollars, and um, most of that was paid by the bigger organization out of the three organizations and who had more money. Um, and I have to give credit to them as well because they had the purse strings, but they were really open and collaborative. They didn't kind of say, well, we're paying for this, so we we have the final say. It was never like that. All of the decisions were so collaborative. If, you know, it was consensus or it didn't happen. And even sometimes with the agency, like we'd say, oh, we're not 100% comfortable, but okay, maybe let's do that. And Okay, all right. And they'd come back the next day and say, okay, we've had to think about it. How about this? So, you know, it was everybody had to be 100% happy with it. Otherwise, it didn't, didn't happen. So
0: In doing that and setting it up, because it's incredible that it became a thing after really just being sort of a concept, did you face a lot of barriers in setting it up?
1: Well, not really, because we didn't set it. We didn't set up a fertility clinic, all right. We we set up a matching, um, and and that like I said, we had the websites and stuff out there. We didn't want to continue doing that matching because that put a lot of work on um, body positive. And Mark he, they took on that process, and so they to keep it confidential and everything. So, and and they still do get some people contact them, and there's still a little bit of that going on. But we didn't want to get that. That's not the role of what we were doing. The role of what we were doing was to um, promote U equals U and that this can happen and it can happen safely and it's beneficial for lots of people and reducing the, the stigma. Um, so to, to then wind it down, we, we then had to take that website down and we replaced it with another website. And this this was something that the, again, the agents came to us and said, look, you know, we've been thinking about this. What do you think? Um, just to close it down, we've been thinking about, let's do kind of like a how-to booklet. And we go, okay, what are you thinking? <laughs> and um, they had an um, illustrator, the internal illustrator, who illustrated this whole booklet. And what we did is we reached out to members who came forward and told their stories. So that was seven people living with HIV, two men and five women, who told their stories of, of being pregnant and and. and with HIV, and it told the story of that first baby who was conceived through the the program. Um, and so then then we got rid of the first website and made a new website, and the new website really is promoting the book, um, which is a shame because the first website was just beautiful, and I feel we've lost a lot of beautiful and lot, very educational. We, we actually had um, an ID specialist from... Auckland um, HIV clinic who, who was interviewed and endorsed U equals U on the video. So, you know, it had, had, it was just had so much educational stuff and supported and um, by people of, you know, good credentials. Um, but yeah, so then we, we had to get rid of that to stop the sperm kind of fertility side of things and so have ended up now just with this booklet. Um not just a booklet it's an amazing booklet and um so that's on the website and people can download that for free or they can actually buy it or you can just um you yeah, just download it as well but I mean what we were hoping is that then you know around the world people would use that booklet as a as a some kind of training booklet that hasn't happened and um I'm not quite sure why I think it comes back to a little bit what I was speaking to you earlier about, but maybe we were being a bit too clever. Maybe we were being we were a bit too advanced. People don't quite understand. Um, but overall, I think the campaign was successful. Did you ever
0: anticipate that it would change something like the policy of IVF clinics in New Zealand?
1: I think we were hoping, but we didn't know that it would. And I think the campaign helped that because I know Mark... Um, had been talking to fertility clinics before. And while they had been in a bit of discussion, they weren't convinced. But once the campaign took off, um, I think it it convinced them. It shifted their thinking. And um, so, you know, that's a huge win. And I I, I think, you know, when you're doing campaigns like this, what you want to try and do is, it's got to be beneficial for everybody. Right, so we're getting out a, me- a message, the U equals U message. So, to reduce stigma, to change people's minds, but also to benefit to people living with HIV, and this benefits them in reducing stigma, hopefully, and also shows people that 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 gay men living with HIV can have children, because often that is something a door that. They feel very close and women as well. I mean probably in the last 10 years that has changed but prior to that you know an HIV diagnosis meant that you couldn't get pregnant or you couldn't have children. Um, Being a gay man often there's this feeling that you can't be a father Um, and then add to that with the HIV it's like the guys that, that came forward for this that was one of the things they said, they never thought they could be a father. And it just, so there was lots of benefits, I think, from the whole campaign. it And it, it changed policy, changed attitudes, helped people's lives. So it was successful in a lot of ways. And the PR company actually, um, are putting the campaign in for another award at the moment, an Effie award. And that award is to, that you have to show evidence of change. And so, and we're really lucky because now they're doing all of that back work for us. And they're going to be able to give us all the information and the data to say this is the, hopefully, <laughs> this is the difference this campaign made. So we will actually have evidence at the end of this to show how much, um, what kind of change this campaign has made.
0: That's particularly interesting when you see guidelines like Fast Track Cities and whatnot hoping to, and I know in Melbourne, this is the case too, where they're not only uh, addressing people uh, being diagnosed with HIV, getting on treatment and achieving a non viral load, but something like stigma, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to measure progress in that area. So this is kind of really exciting development in that regard. When did the project kind of wrap up and kind of go into this third phase that you talked about? And I guess from that too, have we seen anybody in other parts of the world attempt something similar to the best of your
1: knowledge? Um, the, The last phase... It was only recently. It's just, um, I forgot, this year, earlier this year. So that was the last phase. We actually started it in 2020. So it's sort of been, because it been going through the different phases, and then it had a little sort of rest in between, and for the babies to be born. <laughs> so I think there's five babies born now. Yeah. Um, so so that's when it changed. And Sorry, I forgot what was the other question.
0: Have have you heard of anybody else attempting this?
1: No, no, nobody else. We're, no. I mean, when we talk about it to people, even like at the conference, people go, wow, wow. But, yeah, it's been interesting from the HIV community, really, from, from NGOs working in the sector that nobody's really gone any further with it or asked us more. Because that's what we, we we actually, like I said, we sent out this, um, communication to people saying, look, you know, here's this resource. We've got it actually done in four different languages. So it's, I think it's in Spanish. I can't remember the other languages, but it's in, it's in four different languages. So, in, and, and, people could download it and get it translated into their own language. So, it, you know, it's, it's a free resource that people could use. Um, and, and it's quite a quirky little, um, booklet. Um, It's sort of done in caricature, so it looks like a kid's how-to book, you know, but it tells real stories and it's done in a nice way and it could be a really useful resource. Um, The um, fertility clinics in in New Zealand have got it in their um, waiting rooms, Um, but we haven't been able to sort of get it further than that.
0: As you're talking about this, I can't help but think about one of the themes that's coming out of the first day of discussions here at the conference. And that's how sort of, not sort of, the UN AIDS report that's come out has sort of seen how we've taken a step back to some degree. And a lot of folks are attributing that to the fact that a lot of people's attention moved to COVID-19. And now that we're kind of moving into sort of a, I don't want to say post-COVID, because of course it's still around, but it's now kind of COVID normal. Do you think that there might be an opportunity for focus? to return to HIV in a more meaningful way and maybe see something like this project gain traction finally overseas. Yeah.
1: I think it's a really valid point because we, you know, if you think about it, we launched all of this through COVID. Um, and so definitely, I mean, hopefully, I mean, you know, we might've missed the bus on it, unfortunately though, you know, because, you know, you've launched it at the wrong time and now people kind of come back and think about HIV and it's gone, you know, cause it's been done. But, but um, I guess that's up to us to maybe we can do another kind of, Phase four, <laughs> get more people interested in it. Um, but definitely, I mean, I do, I am concerned about that. I, I know even in New Zealand, like our numbers were down last year and it was, everyone was celebrating the numbers of, of infections for HIV was down. And it's like, I'm going, but you know, the doors have been shut for two years. That's why it's down. And people have been at home. Nobody's been going out and doing anything. And you know, I think it's way too early to celebrate, um, and I I would be concerned that yes, as you said, we're not post COVID yet, but you know, it won't be long I think before we will see HIV starting to come come forward again. But as far as this campaign, you've just given me the idea that we do phase four. <laughs> well,
0: that's exciting news, and I I do hope that people kind of hear this, um, being that you know it sounds like it really took on a life beyond what you kind of initially started with. Do you have any, if someone listening to this, you know, or at age 2022 right now and sharing a lot of ideas, if someone who attended the conference yesterday kind of takes that idea and they take it to some other part of the world, um, what kind of advice or learnings do you think that you took from this experience that you would give to someone kind of who would want to try to take this idea and do it elsewhere?
1: I mean, I I think I mentioned yesterday that, you know, we had some, some challenges. and some disappointments, failings actually. Uh, I think our biggest failing was not um, looking after indigenous population. Um, we We had some some men, one in particular, um, who was very much involved, and you know something happened through the process and and he pulled out and it was quite traumatic for everybody. Yeah, it was very sad and something we we were very conscious that we failed at and I think going forward um, for anyone else, you know, if you're working with Indigenous cultures, I mean, it's just a lesson in everything. When you're working in Indigenous culture, you start from the very beginning with, with the people and you let them tell you and work with it rather than telling them what to do and how to do it. Because that doesn't work, and it didn't work.
0: It's an important lesson, and I think it's a you know one that is definitely worth. Um you know, it resonates with a lot of what we kind of hear, kind of out of the conference even today, around people having a seat at the table and having a voice yeah. in this process. Um, but one of the things I have to, I guess, is an observation I made from yesterday is in the U equals U summit, where everybody was. I mean, we I wouldn't even fathom how many times we heard the phrase U equals U. I guess what I found so compelling about your presentation is that you actually didn't say U equals U that much. It was actually sort of like. To me, it was uh, like this is what the world could look like once everyone gets that as like a baseline knowledge. And so do you feel like this
1: maybe in a weird way was ahead of its time? Well, And that's what Mark was saying as well. You know, I mean, I've always struggled. I'm a huge advocate of you equals you, you know, and we've – and I just want to go back to the other thing about saying having people at the table. We did have – I'm positive – I was at that table. So we did, we've had positive people at the table. We've had positive people involved in the whole project, but there were some people that should have been there that weren't there. So just to clarify that. Um, I'm sorry, what was the question? We were ahead. I think we were ahead of our time. We didn't, we specifically didn't want to keep using U equals U because outside of people living with HIV, People don't understand that. Um, we had a campaign in New Zealand where uh, an organisation put up big posters in certain areas, and it said you equals you know drop your load. U equals you," and like very clever. And if you know what all of that means, great. But it was in the public, and we actually had a new person come to work with us, and she started working with us. And she goes, oh, "I saw this poster. What did that mean?" And then I explained it to her, and she said, "Oh," she said, "Okay." But you know, she's not positive. She, none of her friends are. N- n- nobody. She said nobody would know what that meant. So, and I've always felt you equals you is it's it's internal lingo. So, you know, and that's why I think you know it can't pass it on. Kind of probably resonates more, and and so we weren't trying to. Do, say the message, we were doing it. And I think that's the difference. We were showing it, we were showing it rather than just saying it. So people understood. If
0: folks want to find out a little bit more and find that book out, where should they go? So go on
1: to the it's, um, spermpositive.org website, and it, there's a little bit of the story there. Um, and then the, the, you can either buy it or you can download it. Free is the booklet. Um, but if anyone's interested in anything else about trying to do something more as well, welcome to contact. Um, I think there is actually a contact on the sperm positive, but you can contact me and or contact um, Body Positive or Foundation. They've just changed their name, sorry. Um, the Burnett Foundation. They used to be the New Zealand AIDS Foundation. Burnett Foundation. So they can contact any of us organisations um, and we, we can more than happy to work with people about going forward i think the contact details are on the website for us
0: we'll link to the contact details also on the show page for uh the joy website so that's joy.org.au slash well well or spermpositive.org jane thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me and i do hope that now that we're you know not that we're past covid again but you know that maybe we can see post this uh, conference this sperm positive pick up a bit more traction
1: great thank you very much and thanks for picking up the story thanks
0: Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and well-being. Presented by Joy sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website, thornharbour.org. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024.